Our story is a lot like the characters portrayed in that short video. We're all broken. We're all broken in different ways. But Christ came to make us whole. Christ came to heal us. And through his crucifixion and through his death and burial and resurrection again, he secured eternal life available for every single person here. We've been in a series on apologetics. And apologetics is not apologizing for what you believe. Apologetics is a defense for what you believe, a defense of the gospel. And we believe that Jesus was a man and that he was God. He was not merely a man. He was not merely a human being. He was much more than that because he, was, he had a prophesied coming. Hundreds of verses talked about the fact that he was going to be born. He had a supernatural birth, born of a virgin. He had a miraculous deeds, actual miracles that he performed, not just things that were amazing, but things that were mir- miraculous. His teaching was distinctive, so much so that the soldiers said he spoke like no one else ever spoke. And his actions were consistent with his, his teaching. Sometimes we'll hear someone teach a certain way, and they don't live that way. They're called hypocrites, but Jesus actually lived the way that he, uh, that he taught. Stated another way, we can generally say that Jesus was unique by who he was, by what he did, what he claimed about himself, and what he did to substantiate those claims. But by far the greatest proof, by far, hands down, nothing else is more significant and consequential than the literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from that tomb a little over 2,000 years ago. Paul said it this way. It's so important. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. I'm reading out of the NLT. He said, let me tell you this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there is no resurrection of the dead? There were people alive back then who didn't believe in the resurrection, just like there are people alive now who, didn't, who don't believe in the resurrection. They said, but then Paul said, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And there's a consequence to it. If Christ be not raised, then listen to this, our preaching is useless and your faith is is useless or vain. And we apostles would all be lying about God because we tell people there's hope. We tell people Christ rose from the dead. We tell people that he's alive forevermore. But if there is no resurrection, then he's still in the grave somewhere and our hope is gone. And we, have, we are vain in our preaching. We are vain in our faith. He goes on and says, and if Christ be not raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins And in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. So every mom and every dad, every young child, every baby, every husband, every wife, every brother, every sister, every neighbor, every friend, every foe, anyone who's ever lived who has died is without hope. It matters not if Christ be not raised from the dead, what their profession of faith is. It matters not how godly they live their lives. It matters not what church they attend or if they were baptized if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is, is gone and, and, and is worthless and we are lost and we are still in our sins. And he concludes that part of it by saying, and we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. But thankfully, he didn't stop there. That'd be a pretty bleak message. When, how'd you like to have that? Folks, we're all lost. We're all going to hell. There's nothing we can do about it. Shall we pray? That'd be, that'd be a super, it'd be a short service, but it, it wouldn't be that great a service, I'll tell you right now. But he says this in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
In fact, he's been raised from the dead. The resurrection confirms both the man and his message. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke write, uh, wrote this. He said, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. What's infallible? Infallible means without error. Many infallible proofs. The word proofs in this verse coming from the Greek that the New Testament was written in is tekmarion, which is a form of the Greek word tekmar and means a criterion of certainty, a fact of certainty or a certain infallible proof. It is unchallengeable. It is absolutely true. This is called in a court of law empirical evidence. If you go, if you're summoned to court and you're supposed to be a witness uh, to something and you say, and they say, did you see, uh, did you see Sergio steal those hubcaps off of the preacher's car? And, and uh, you, you say, um, you say, uh, well, I, I didn't see him, but I, I heard from Donna that she saw somebody who said that they thought he took the hubcaps off the preacher's car. That's not going to fly. They're going to object, and then they'll be substantiated for that, that objection. It's not going to work. Here I am. I've got a lawyer in here, and I'm, telling, I'm talking. But anyhow, uh, so, so, but, but if, in fact, if, in fact, someone stands up and says, I saw Sergio taking his hubcaps, I'm going to be after you because I don't even know I had hubcaps on my car. But anyway, uh, that is admissible in a court of law. That is empirical evidence. It was something that someone saw or something that someone heard or something that someone experienced. And that's what the Bible says about the New Testament miracle of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is that they saw him, they heard him, and they handled him. How many know how bankers are trained? to detect counterfeit money. The U.S. Treasury trains people also how to know real currency from counterfeit currency. The way they do it is not by handling counterfeit currency. The way they train is by handling actual money, real currency. They study the paper that is printed on. They study the ink patterns. They study the distinguishing marks. They look for the little metal threads running in, all the little things that they know of that some of us don't even know about in currency that, that verifies it's real. They study the way it, it feels when it's folded, the way that it looks when it's unfolded. They, they study all of that about counterfeit money so that when they handle real money, they know it's real money. When they handle counterfeit, instantly they know this is not real. Well, the disciples spent three years with our Lord. They, they got up with him in the morning. They ate breakfast with him many times. They went through uh, throughout the day with him. They watched him perform miracles. They were amazed. He would feed 5,000 with just a couple of loaves and a few fish. They, they, they saw him heal people. They saw him raise people from the dead. They were with him for three solid years traveling all around the Holy Land and, and, and proclaiming the fact that he is the Messiah and then after he was dead and buried, when he rose again, they, they knew the real thing because they'd been with the real thing. They saw him, they, they heard him, they handled him, and they knew exactly it, who he was. He was and is the Son of Almighty God. Now, we believe, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. If I'm, I'm saying we, if you're a born-again child of God, if you're a Christian, you believe that he's a born again, that he's a, the risen Savior. That's what you believe, and I believe. But what about an unbeliever? What about someone who might be here who quite honestly says, Preacher, I, I, I respect what you believe. I respect your right to believe it, 
but I'm not so sure that Jesus really rose from the dead. In fact, I kind of doubt that he did that. I just don't believe that happens. So what about them? How should they look at this? How should they examine the subject of the resurrection? And my suggestion to you would be, how about with logic? And the first thing we would talk about would be illogical theories refuting the fact of resurrection. Illogical theories. The first one is a fraud theory. It didn't really happen. It was just made up by a bunch of Christians, made up by a bunch of disciples who followed him. They were devastated by the fact that he was destroyed, that he died, that he was put in a grave. And so they came up, they fabricated this story. I'll tell you what they did. I'll tell you what they did. They actually stole the body of Jesus. They took the body out of the tomb. That's why the tomb's empty. They, they, they just, they're, they're just perpetrating a deception on everybody. Oh, and I guess they had to overcome the Roman soldiers. I, I guess that's what happened. And, oh, they had to roll the stone away. And um, it's a little tough to understand, but they actually, many of them died for this fraud they were perpetrating. They actually were martyred. I mean, does that make sense to you? I mean, if you, if you were one of the disciples and, and you stole the body during the middle of the night and you perpetrated this lie, would you be willing to die yourself, to be martyred yourself for the cause that was a fake cause? Does that make sense? And why would all of them be willing, almost all of them, be willing to do that? That's the fraud theory. Then there's the swoon theory. This is my personal favorite. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. They say what happened was he, he lost so much blood and he got dehydrated and he hadn't had anything to drink, any water to drink for, for quite a few hours. He'd been in trials all night long, different various places. And so uh, he just, he passed out on the cross. And when they came to him to break the legs of the, uh, they broke the legs of the other two thieves to hasten his death so that on the Sabbath day, there wouldn't be these, these three people hanging on the cross in violation of their Sabbath. But when they came to Jesus, they didn't because they thought he was really dead, but he wasn't. His pulse was so faint that they couldn't tell. His respirations were so shallow they couldn't actually see him breathe. So they assumed he was dead, and they took his body down, and they wrapped it with linen and spices and anointed it for burial, wrapped him all up, kind of mummified in a sense. Uh, That's what they did. And they put him in this borrowed tomb. Well, what happened was the tomb was nice and cool, and it kind of revived him. And so he felt so much better being in the tomb. And after three days without food or water, after having gone through all that he went through in a traumatized state, he recovered enough strength not only to roll away the stone, but to overcome the guards and go ahead and tell people he had risen from the dead. Now, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Third thing, the hallucination theory. The hallucination theory. One time, one time I was driving to Texarkana, and we had left. Uh, this was when, and I think probably our maybe second year of marriage. And her grand, Pat's grandparents lived in Texarkana, and we were in a church in um, Taylorville, Illinois. And so we went Sunday all day to all the service. We had Sunday morning, had Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then we got in the car toward dark and and headed to Texarkana. And I got. I don't know, maybe halfway there. I don't remember now, but about halfway there. And I'm driving along, and I'm trying to fight sleep. Does anybody here get sleepy when you're driving? Anybody here get sleepy when you're driving? I always have trouble with that. So one time I bought this little thing that you put on your ear. 
You ever seen those? And if you tilt, if you, if you head, you know, if you go like that, it wakes you up and buzzes in your ear. So I was, I was, I didn't have that thing at that point in time. So I was getting sleepy, and I one after I did have it, by the way, I was driving from L.A. late one night from the college up there, and I was driving, and I looked down to see what time it was. Almost had a wreck because this buzz <laughs> thing went off in, in my ear. But I didn't have that yet, so I'm fighting. I'm trying to go to sleep. Pat's over there, like, "Are you awake? Are you awake?" And I'm going like. Uh. And all of a sudden, I saw a car completely across all four lanes of highway. Just, I mean, just stopped right across. And I mean, I started to slam on the brakes. And when I did, the car disappeared. Pat had been trying. She'd been saying, let's get a room. Let's get a room. I said, I can't afford. We can't afford a room. Let's not, we're not going to get a room. I said, let's get a room. Let's get a room. <laughs> I don't see any more cars. And, well, the hallucination. So when the ladies went to the tomb in and, 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 and all earnestness to anoint the body further and, to, and, and, and whatever else to do, when they went there, um, they, they hallucinated. They just thought they saw Jesus because they were so emotional. And, and, and she thought that Mary thought she was talking to him. And she just thought the angels were sitting there at the tomb saying, he's not here, he is risen. And the disciples likewise were overwhelmed. And Peter and John, when they ran to the tomb, were just so emotional. They, they thought they saw them. And in fact, hundreds of people, 500 at one time who saw the risen Savior, they were just all hallucinating. Now, look, folks, I worked in a psychiatric ward while I was going to Bible college. I worked in it. I had keys, okay? Some people have accused me of, uh, you weren't really working, preacher. They were keeping you there for a while. Uh, I actually had keys. They were plastic, but I had keys. And I had a lot of people who would hallucinate, but never did I have people who hallucinated the same thing. They all had different hallucinations. Here, everybody, if it was a hallucination, were all hallucinating the same thing. Hundreds and hundreds of people thought they saw the post-resurrection Jesus. And to quote the theologian Carrie Underwood, there must have been something in the water they were drinking. There must have been. So the hallucination theory, now nah, illogical, doesn't make sense. How about this one, the wrong tomb theory? The women went to the wrong grave. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, if you've been to the cemetery and you've had a loved one buried somewhere uh, and three days later, you don't forget where that person is buried. I love my grandparents. I love my granddad so much. And, and in Bible college, in my, in, in my second year, I think it was, of Bible college, he passed away and I went to the funeral in Kentucky and went back to school then. And then after we got married, a couple years later, we were going through, and I said, I, I, know, I know where the cemetery is in Beaverdam, Kentucky, but I said, I, we're going to have to try to find where, where the grave is. You know, I drove right to it, and that was like a couple years later. I buried my mom and dad at Glen Abbey. Do you know what? I know exactly where their sepulcher is. I know exactly where their grave is. And you're trying to tell me that, that these... these uh, Women went to the wrong grave three days later. This one they loved, this one that uh, they, they wept over, this one that meant everything, meant the world to them. The women went to the wrong grave. Okay, you know what? I'll accept the women went to the wrong grave, but I've got a problem because the angels must have gone to the wrong grave too. Something tells me they're in trouble with their CO. Michael the archangel, they're in trouble. They, they, they went, oh, you went to the wrong grave. You guys blew it. And so did Peter and John go to the wrong. Everybody went to the wrong grave. Silly, silly theory. And then there's the ghost theory. They thought they saw an apparition. Uh, they thought it was a ghost. It was a spirit. And, 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 and you know, 
sometimes we have this idea that when people die, their ghosts kind of remain where they are. You know, they kind of haunt places. I told my wife, if I, when I pass away, if she gets married too soon, I'm going to haunt her. You know, I, I, I want her to be okay and taken care of. I want her to be happy, but not that happy. Uh, at least not right away. So, uh, but but the ghost theory. So, uh, the, and and Jesus dispels that in his own words. He came to Thomas and he said, "Thomas, behold my hands and my feet. Look at the nail prints in my hands. Look at the nail wounds in my feet. Put your hand in the wound in my side. It is I myself. Handle me and see." Empirical evidence saw, heard, handled. Handle me and see, for the Spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. It was a ghost. It was our risen Savior. Next of all, the truth of the resurrection. The the empty tomb bears testimony to it. There's so many scriptures that just Matthew 28, 6, he's not here. He is risen, as he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Past tense, where he was. Come and see where he was. Secondly, the grave clothes folded. Let me tell you something. If the disciples stole the body of Christ, they would not have unwrapped the linens, grave clothes, and folded them and laid them over on the side and then took the headpiece off, folded it, and laid it separately, but that's exactly what they found. Folded grave clothes, folded headpiece, separate from each other. They wouldn't have done that. That's an indication that Jesus Christ rose from the dead like he said he would. And then there's a testimony of the angels. We already mentioned it. He's not here. He's risen. Come and see the place where he lay. There were the changed disciples. They went from a defeated mob of people. They went from a defeated group and band of followers who, who all of a sudden saw their hopes dashed on the cross of Calvary. They, they went through through such misery, and 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 when they when he was arrested in the garden, the Bible says they all fled. We give Peter a rough time for denying the Lord, but all the disciples fled. All of them left him, and and. Peter was the one who denied him three times before the rooster crowed twice. But um, but they all left him, and then all of a sudden. On the day of Pentecost, something happens, and they're reinfused with a new hope and a new strength that they never had before because they realized that Christ was not dead, that the grave couldn't keep him there. They were changed. Then we see the wounds in his hands, his feet, and his side, same as the wounds that, that Christ suffered on that cross. The truth of the resurrection is there for the seeing. Then there's the proof of the resurrection. His post-resurrection appearances, if we had time, we'd go reach one. I won't do that with you, but to Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, to the other women in Matthew 28, to Peter in Luke chapter 24, to a couple of the disciples in Luke chapter 24, to 10 of the apostles in Luke chapter 24, to Thomas and the other apostles in John chapter 20, to seven of the apostles in John 21, to all of the apostles gathered together in Matthew 28, to all the apostles again in Acts chapter 1, to 500 believers at one time, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, to James, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, and to the Apostle Paul. I mean, the proof is just overwhelming. Flesh and bones, handle me and see. I am the same. I am the one who was buried, and I am alive now, and I'm alive forevermore. And when he came, by the way, remember I tell you how important it is to be in church? And thank you for being here. Not down watching the little planes. You're in God's house. I don't mind. I like, you know, watching races. And, and Dan, I'm ticked at him. He got to ride in one of them and uh, did all kinds of rolls and loops and barrels and all that kind of stuff, barrel rolls. 
but I tell you how it's so important to be in God's house. And so right after Jesus was raised from the dead, the, the disciples are gathered together and, and Jesus shows up. Guess what? Thomas wasn't there. And so the disciples, next time they see Thomas, they say, Thomas, you should have been in church Sunday. Why? Well, because Jesus showed up. Oh, right, sure. No, he really did. Yeah, yeah, come on. I saw him get crucified, man. I saw him die. I saw them bury him in a tomb. He's in the tomb in the garden right now outside the gates of Jerusalem. Don't, don't give me that. No, he was here. I'm telling you, he was here. You mean in spirit? No, he was here, physically, literally here, right here in the midst. Thomas didn't miss church next time, and he was there. And when Jesus appeared, Jesus said to him, Thomas, see my wounds, feel my wounds, feel the the wound in my side. And Thomas fell at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. I had someone tell me one time, well, Thomas was just using that as kind of an expletive. My Lord, my God. No, he was saying, my Lord. My God, you are my Lord and my God. The church, the church is a testimony to the resurrection of Christ. The fact that that we have this movement worldwide, millions and millions, billions of believers. Testimony, Jesus said, thou art Peter, Petra, a little rock, but upon this rock himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against. You know one of the things I pray? I pray the gates of hell would tremble today as the word of God is preached right here and in churches up and down uh, the state and all around the world that, 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 the, that hell would just be charged and, and people would be snatched out uh, who are on their way to hell because of the power of the gospel. The church is a testimony to a risen Lord. The day of worship. The day of worship was Saturday. All over Jerusalem, all over Israel was the Sabbath. That was a day of rest and a day that they set aside to worship the Lord. And all of a sudden, 2017 years ago, roughly, all of a sudden, people started worshiping on the first day of the week. Why is that? Because it was the first day of the week, Sunday, that Jesus raised from the dead. What about the calendar? The whole calendar up until, up until Jesus it was like, I mean, if, if, if it hadn't been for Jesus, the year would be like 58, 76 now or so. I, I don't know exactly what the date is, but, but it's not. It's 2017. You know why? We have before Christ, we have the year of our Lord. We have this, this dividing um, point of all of history and everything that happened before our Savior came and everything that happened after he came because he is who he said he was and he rose again. Then there's a silence of unbelievers who lived at that time who didn't contest what the disciples saw and what they claimed. There was the martyrdom of Stephen who saw Jesus at the right hand of his father in heaven. There are the many infallible proofs that Luke wrote about in Acts chapter 1, uh, how that God showed them. There was the death shroud folded empty, the empty borrowed tomb. And how about personal experience? How about what Jesus has done in your life and mine? If you're a born-again child of God, if you know you're born again, he's made a difference in your life. You, you, can't, you can't have Jesus come into your life without it changing you radically. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things become new. I am so thankful I got saved when I was eight years old. You kids who put your faith in Christ when you're young, you have saved yourself a lot of misery. 
Some of you adults who didn't get saved until your 20s or 30s or 40s or whatever, you went through a lot of things that you wouldn't have had to go through and maybe would not have gone through had you been saved early on. I used to hang with my guys and my buddies and, and we'd go do stuff and every once in a while we'd do something wrong. It wasn't my fault. I was just following one of them. And I'd always get caught. What's the deal? That's not fair. All five of us did it. I got caught. What's the deal? You know what I figured out a long time ago? God doesn't chastise those who are not his. God chastises and disciplines those who are his. And I learned early, thank God, literally, that there are things I couldn't get away with that other people maybe seem to get away with, but I couldn't because I belong to him. You say, well, I don't believe in a mean God. I'm not talking about mean. My mom and dad weren't mean, but there's things I couldn't get away with with them. Well, maybe they were a little mean. Uh, back in the generation, you know, when they used switches and belts for purposes other than which they were created. And I learned to have a healthy fear of my mom and dad because they could lower the boom. Didn't warp me. I'm okay. Personal experience. Even though I wasn't stealing cars when I was eight years old and I wasn't living in adultery when I was eight years old and all that, even though that wasn't happening, Christ changed my life. And he'll change yours. So there's only one true logical explanation, I believe, and it's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He said, you men and women of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by many miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And so today we say he is risen. He is risen indeed. The crowds couldn't silence him. The religious leaders could not marginalize him. The devil couldn't kill him. Oh, he thought he had. He, I'm sure there was a three-day party Probably a big binge in heaven. I mean, I mean in hell. Uh, they were just celebrating and having a big time. All right, we got it. We got it. The devil couldn't kill him. Rome couldn't defeat him. The shroud couldn't contain him. The grave couldn't hold him. And death could not claim him because he and he alone had the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Today, he is my Savior. Is he yours? Do you know him? Do you really, really know him? Good Friday was really bad. But Easter was really, really, really good. Would you bow your heads, please? If I could have your attention, every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. I hope every person here has put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But if you have not, there's nothing you can do better then today, right now, in this moment, put your faith in Christ. Guilt in life gone. Fear of death can be gone by trusting in him. And if you would like to put your faith in him right now, I'm not going to embarrass you. It's not my point. I wouldn't have any purpose in doing that. 
But if you'd like to put your faith and trust in Christ and have your sins forgiven and have the hope of heaven for eternity, right where you're seated, God knows what's in your heart, would you pray something like this and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve heaven. I can't earn it. But I believe that Jesus was your son. And I believe he died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And this morning, in this place, at this time, I want him as my personal Savior and my God. I put my faith and trust in him for eternal life right now. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, respecting each other's privacy, if you just prayed that prayer right now, would you slip your hand up? Just hold it up for just a moment. Hold it up real high and then put it back down. God bless you. God bless you. God loves you so much. Father, we thank you for loving us that much. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Holy Spirit, thank you for drawing us to him because there's nothing good in us that we seek him out. He sought us out through you. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Our custom here, we sing a verse or two maybe of an invitation. What is that? Uh, Nothing scary. It's just an opportunity for you to come and pray with someone, for you to come and ask Christ to be your personal Savior. If you just prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to come up here and and just let me know that. Hey, I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Um, Maybe you want to join the church. You want to be baptized. You want to know something. Maybe you have a special prayer request or prayer need. Whatever it is, Rachel's up here. My wife is over here. uh, Fitz is right here. I'm here. Any way we can help you, whatever we can do, as we sing this invitation, we'd ask you to leave where you are. People will gladly move, let you by. Just say, excuse me. Come on down and do what God wants you to do right now.